0: It's our prayer that this message from God's word will deeply impact
1: your life. Well, good morning everybody. Great to have you here. Coldest night of the year this morning. Did you get up to a little surprise in your driveway? I love my weather forecasters right on the numbers. Little snow just to get us all going again. Good to have you here. By the way, welcome those of you who are online. Get your Bibles out. We're going to jump right in. We're in a series called Breakthrough. And we've been looking at the whole aspect of prayer. And if you're joining us and some of you have been traveling, you you need to go back and go to the online app and just get those messages. There were powerful messages last week on how to pray effectively. Really encourage you to do that and go back over the uh, past few weeks so you can stay tracking with us. Today we're going to talk about something that's a little bit different. It's leaning into the storms. Because here's what I know. No matter who we are in the room, we've all faced storms in our life. And if you've been fortunate enough in your journey that you have not had a major storm that you've had to navigate through, and I'm not talking about the snow, I'm talking about life issues, you will eventually have to face some of those. And it's what we do in those moments that begins to really define not only our faith, but our trust and our dependence upon God. And they become some of the greatest faith-building, stretching moments that we could go through. So when I'm talking with people... Often what I discover is everybody says, you know, when I'm talking about prayer capacity, when everything is up and to the right, no problem, right? When, you're, when your stock market is going that direction and your savings account is going that way re- and your RSPs and your house price is going that we're all good. Nobody likes it when the bottom drops out and it goes the other way. We're all the same. Well, what about in our prayer? See, if, if everything in our life is smooth sailing and everything is really, really good, it's fairly easy to pray, we go, God, thank you for blessing me, and God, thank you for the prosperous, and th- thank you for your favors, and we just, everything that's out there, it's all up to the right. What do you do, though? And how do your prayers come across when you're in a storm? God, why, why the health issue? Again. God, why am I struggling in the employment market? Why did I take all that education and I can't find a job? Why do I have this just pile of student debt, and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to pay it off? And why is my marriage fallen apart, and the fragments of it are beginning to affect my life. And why are our, our kids creating such a challenge for us? See, when the bottom drops out, our prayers change. And what happens in our prayers is they're not so much the easy prayer capacity that's high energy. All of a sudden, our prayers take on emotion, and they feel different. They're prayers of uncertainty. They're prayers of despair. They're prayers of anger. We get mad at God. And so when we're looking at this, I want to talk to us today about what do you do when you lean into the storm, when what you face in life is more challenging than what you could have anticipated. And there are principles inside of a storm that we can learn about prayer and how we can navigate and grow in our prayer life that we want to learn together. Because I committed to you at the beginning of this year, I want you to have a breakthrough year in your life. That you would have the potential to unleash God's power in every area. And here's what I understand as your pastor, is when you hit a storm and you hit a wall... Often, that's where we start to slow everything down, and I don't want you to slow down. I want you to be able to push right through this and experience what God has for you. So the prayers that we pray in the midst of the storm become very important for us to understand, because that's where we're going to start to grow. We're going to have a look at an event in the life of the disciples of Jesus, because they went through this. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter eight, Matthew chapter eight, and I'm going to read for us, we're going to get out of verse 23. And I think you'll find it an interesting story. Again, let's do this. We're reading some 2,000 years later. We've already, some of us have already read the story. Let's go back into the first context. Let's join them as this event occurs. And imagine that we had not heard this before. Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him, and suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. So the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. So they're, they're thrust into the middle of this horrific storm. They, they had no idea they were going to experience this. So remember the context. Jesus gets in the boat, they climb in the boat, they start to sail across the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful place. Who wouldn't want to go for a boat ride with Jesus, right? They had no idea that Jesus would take a nap and in the middle of his afternoon nap, this thing would erupt into this ferocious storm and all of a sudden they're left to survive and they don't know what they're going to do. Some of us, when we face our storms, we try to turn and run the other way. We try to outrun the storm, and I'm going to tell you, you can't outrun your storms. Some of you, you're going to try to hunker down. You're going to batten down the hatches. You're going to bear right down, and you're going to just, like, use all your grit and endurance, and you're going to go, I am going to prevail through this, and I'm I'm a man's man. I'm going to do this on my own. I can do this. That storm's just going to beat you up and leave you wasted. And then others, you just throw up your hands, and you go, well, whatever, and you just give up, and you let the storm overtake you. Neither of those responses are the right response. The response that we find in Matthew chapter 8 is fascinating, what Jesus tells his disciples to do, because storms are opportunities to lean in, not run away. And storms enable us to pray in ways that we never knew we had capacity to pray. And I want to show you, and I want to share with you something today. So I'm really delighted, a couple of weeks ago, one of the gentlemen who attends our services here with us at Streetsville called me up and he said, Pastor Doug, i just, I got to tell you my story of what happened in my life and how God was leading me. And so we set up a time, and Roland and I, we got together and we started to share. And as he shared his story, I said, Roland, you do. You need to share this with the church. And Roland and Grace are a part of our church family. And Roland, I want to invite you to come up here this morning. Would you give a big hand for Roland? It's, you know it's rather daunting to get up in front of all of you people. So give them your best smile. Make them feel right at home. Okay, none of the scowling, no angry stuff. They're a great group of people, Roland. <laughs> they are. Good morning, church. Okay,
0: I'm here on a mandate, a command by my Lord Jesus, and I'm here in obedience to that command. Say, go round the churches, or my church. And tell my children that I live, and uh, I keep my words. And whoever listens and does my will will eventually come with me into eternity, the heavens,
1: and then we receive your rewards. So, Roland, I'm going to jump in. (laughs) Sure. Because I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, okay? Okay, sure. Uh, Because you... You have like a seven-part series to share with us, and we have a seven-minute story to share no, with us. No, I, we, we actually had so much fun together, okay. but um, I was so compelled by this. First off, uh, how long, Grace, is Grace with us in the service today? Yeah. Okay, where mm-hmm. are you, Grace? Way there she is. Okay, that's, that's our coach this morning, so that's you keep fine. us on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you and Grace have been with us for about seven years. And so That's you've been right. worshipping, and mm-hmm. so it's not like you just kind of parachuted in. You've been a part of our church family, growing with us and learning with us. That's correct. Then when you called me, you, you had gone through a storm recently. Mm-hmm. That's where I would like you to take us okay. now. What happened?
0: Sure. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, colon cancer uh, end of 2017. And then I went in for surgery, and uh, after that... After a couple of months, I was told it spread to the liver. So I had to go in for another surgery, and they took out 75% of my liver. Mm-hmm. And um, in the surgery, um, it was a different story altogether because I was supposed to be in intensive care, but the Lord prevailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the surgeon said, I don't need intensive care. They took me to the uh, recovery room from there to the surgery ward. And I was to spend about uh, six days in the hospital. I, uh, uh, the third day, they discharged me because the second day after the surgery, I started walking around, mm-hmm. and I had no pains at all. Wow! So then uh, on the first night of the surgery, uh, in my sleep, because the Lord talks to me, I actually wake up every night and spend an hour with Him. Sometimes I don't even say anything; we talk because I don't want to monopolize the discussions. And then uh, also, that apart from the family prayer, which we have every morning and evening. And as I said earlier, uh, even my cell phone here, I said it in uh, 12 noon and 3 p.m. to remind me of my communications with God. So the first night, um, the Lord stationed an angel of God, a tall, lanky guy, dressed in pure, white, huge, With steel helmet and a sword at the entrance into my room. Mm. And then the bed was made with sparkling white linen. And then I said to myself, Oh, is that the end? Because I couldn't see myself in that bed. (laughs) But, um, you know, the following night, he took me on a ride. Okay, we went through this alley, and it was fantastic winding and winding, at a point I said, aren't we reaching the destination yet? (laughs) Anyway, we got to this gate and have a receptionist, a lady receptionist dressed in pure white, and uh, the the reception gate was lit with uh, electricity, the lighting I haven't experienced or seen anywhere in my life. And he said to me, this is gate to heaven, but we are not going in yet because I have a job for you. So uh, then at home, as I was recovering, then uh, one night in my dream, he took me out uh, in the presence of my family members and friends and sprayed me with uh, guiding hose and water from head to toe. And then uh, I was wearing an underpants, and he took me in, he gave me a nurse to go inside the room and clean me up, the rest of the body. And then he said to me, you are now unclean. And uh, my wife, Grace, was given a revelation where she was literally picking out cancer cells from my body. So we were sure. But before, uh, within that period, I asked the Lord, why me? And he said to me, I'm going to ask you the same question. And he said, why me? Why should I be the one to go, go to that cross? Was, was I a bad guy? I said no. So I rested my case. I never asked that question again. And then, um, uh, as time developed, um, you know, uh, uh, it became that it became clear that my healing was very fast. And then he said to me, "Don't go around." Actually, let me. B- b- the last question you asked me the other time. Uh, it's, uh, uh, on in November this year. I went for CT scan after chemotherapy and so on, and then the doctors declared me free. He said, "There's no more cancer. There's no evidence of cancer in this body." And uh, before then, the the Lord already told me that I will be just like the leper was sent to the high priest to be uh, declared clean, the same way the doctors will declare you clean. So a fulfillment of what God's promises have been to us. Then he said, don't jubilate that you are alive. That's the most important aspect of the message, and that's why I'm here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then he, asked, he told me about Lazarus of Bethany, uh, brother to Mary and Mara. He said, I was intimate with him, but he had to die for a reason. So that the gospel would be spread... Or we spread in that part of the world. So, then he asked me, when did Lazarus finally die? I said, the scripture doesn't have it. He said, yes, because the information is not important. He gave me another analogy about John the Baptist. As soon as John delivered the message he came for, which is announcing the arrival of Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of God. Uh, is that Herodias? <laughs> you know the scriptures. they cut off his head he was even disappointed that they are not God God referred me to these two stories and they said the way he died wasn't important it's the message he carried hallelujah so he said go around and tell the world then he said to me I'm not guaranteeing you you're going to be here 20 years or one year or five years it's up to me. Just go and do the job I have asked you to do, yeah. and I will determine when you will finally come to me. And uh, in fact, in my uh, that's one today, uh, In my uh, sick bed, I, I host an international forum, uh, Christian forum. I write them every. I write messages every four or five days, and then I wanted to stop. The Lord said no. You go on writing. I was in the hospital bed and sending out these messages. So the bottom line here, or the main message here is, never you surrender to sickness. And I never surrendered. All my friends didn't know about it. uh, Because at the beginning, he gave me four instructions. Number one, I will heal you. Number two, don't make it public, because you need peace. Number four, um, uh, no, sorry. Number three... I always
1: refer
0: to this. It's all right. Okay. I uh, said, so the, the illness is going to be a little prolonged, so you have to have patience. Okay? And then he said to me, Your prayer should be, Let my will be done. And that's what I prayed with grace for the whole period. We never prayed anything except, Let the will of the Lord be done. Amen?
1: Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you, God bless you, You know, it's remarkable to be able to listen to a story where someone is facing such a horrific storm, and let's face it, you hear cancer, that's the first thing that happens. That just begins to rage, the emotions, the uncertainty, the turmoil. And then for God to walk Roland and Grace and their family through this, and then them to encourage us. And I love the clarity that God... You know, God reveals himself in visions and dreams, and God manifests his presence to us. Why? Because he wants to journey with us. So when you talk about leaning into the storms, go back to Matthew chapter 8, and here you have a picture of these disciples that are now thrust into an unanticipated and an unexpected situation that they're going to have to navigate through. Let me give you a couple of principles about leaning into the storm. Number one... If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Storms are an unavoidable reality in my life. They're unavoidable. Whether you face them today and whether you're in the middle of a storm today or whether it's just smooth sailing, here's what I can tell you for certain. You're going to face storms in the course of your life. And you can try to predict them, but the beauty of the story that we see here is this was an unpredictable moment for these disciples. So let's go to the Sea of Galilee. How many want to go? Love to take you. We're going in two months. The rest of you go to the screens. Here you go. Here we are on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that beautiful? Now you want to go, don't you? Especially with the snow outside here. Look at this. Wonderful, scenic, idyllic place. This is the beauty. I've been there a number of times, and every time you're there, I've eaten down at a restaurant right on the seashore, and it's just so picturesque, and I love being there. So I I try to envision what we just read in Matthew chapter 8. And I'm going, I don't see it. I don't see the storm. I just I see a picture-perfect moment that I love, and I'll capture in my memory, and I'll hold on to this. And yet Matthew describes something that he goes, our world's flipped upside down, and here's what you need to know about the Sea of Galilee. It's located in northern Israel, 700 feet below sea level, which means that the northern mountains are literally on the edge of the shore, so the winds that come across can change instantaneously, and you can go from a scenic, idyllic night like this into a horrific storm. Look at this picture. This is an artist's rendition that captures the scale of the boats that the disciples would have been in and the conditions of the sea. And you go, where did that come from? That's what happens when you're on the Sea of Galilee and the winds drop off the Golan Heights and it comes down onto the sea. It can flip everything so unexpectedly. And what you thought was going to be a smooth sailing day can flip your your world upside down. And some of you, you know that to be true as a parallel in your own life, that you're experiencing moments in your life where you thought everything was going along, and then suddenly, whether it's a doctor, whether it's your employment, whether it's your finances, no matter what it is, it got flipped upside down, and you're in the middle of the most horrific storm. And so when you think about this, I want to remind you that all of us are going to face these storms. If you look at John chapter 16, it says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. That's what he said, take heart. For I have overcome the world. See, we want to run away, we want to hunker down, or we just want to get swallowed up by the storm, and Jesus told us, no, 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 no. You're going to face storms. But he says, take heart because I've already overcome the world. And some of you need to hold on to this today because you're in your storm right now and it's just blowing and it's blustery and you're thinking, God, where are you in the middle of this? And I'm going to bring a promise in in a few moments. Number two, if you're writing down principles, write this. Storms will test the limits of my personal capacity. I, I like Matthew. Very, very descriptive language. Verse 24 and 25 Remember, this is an eyewitness account, so here's what he reads. He writes to us Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. So the language that he uses, remember who Matthew was? Who was Matthew? He, a tax collector. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't a fisherman, he, wasn't, he didn't do boats. Right There's a reason his job was on land. Some of you understand this. Some of you go, I want nothing to do with water. I like firm ground, You know, terra firma. I want to know where I'm standing. It's going to be there when I stand there. So he's going, boats aren't my deal. So he starts to describe the storm, so we should pay attention. He says, suddenly the storm came because we've already read the story, it's not that big of a surprise. Have you ever been walking through your house or maybe down the street or in a business somewhere and a friend hid on you and then they jumped out and went, surprise, ever had that happen? How do you respond? Some of you scream like little girls, ah! or little boys, let's make it fair. You just scream because what happens, just the adrenaline, the shock and the rush that comes because it happened suddenly and you weren't prepared for it. So you give a natural human response to unexpected circumstances, and that's what Matthew's given us here. He goes, you need to understand something. We weren't in Canada. We weren't looking at the big map. We didn't have the weather forecasters. We didn't have science and technology. Nobody says in seven or ten days or in two weeks these storms are going to move across. He goes, we got in a boat with Jesus, and suddenly our life is upside down. Then he describes the storm. He doesn't say that the waves are just kind of lapping up over the side. Look at the words he uses. He goes, they're breaking against the boards of the boat. We're hanging on for dear life, and this storm is like pummeling the side of the boat, and they're wondering if those little pins are going to hold those wooden planks onto the side. He's fearing for his life. So what does he say? We're going to drown. And then he says, well, and then Jesus. Jesus is sleeping. And for some of you, you feel the very same way you feel exactly like what Matthew described. My life is being pummeled. The storm is the most ferocious thing I've ever experienced. I'm in such a dark place. It's so uncertain. And where's God? Where's God? I feel like God maybe is sleeping in the middle of this story. So what do the disciples do here? Well, Matthew says we did what any one of us would do. They scream out and they go, Lord, save us. They cry out for Jesus to act. Catch this. Prayer shouldn't be your last resource in a storm. Prayer should be your first response. And so often what we do is we try to manage the storm with our own capacity. And we want to make our way through this. And we don't have the strength, nor do we have the capacity to be able to push through. But with Jesus, we do. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Here's Paul. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. He said, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. And he said, we're struck down. He said, but we're not destroyed. Paul understood something, that God is with us in our storms. And if prayer is our first response, we're inviting God to step in and take control of the storm early. But let's be honest. How many of us use our personal reserves, our personal capacities, our personal education, our personal finances? We try to deal with the storm until we're so frustrated and then in desperation we just go, God, save me. And Jesus, all you needed to do in the beginning was ask for help at the outset. But a storm will test you. It'll take you right to the edge of your personal capacity. Number three, if you're writing them down, storms will expose the true nature of my faith. There's so much to learn in the story, but this one really speaks to me. We see this repeatedly in the life of Jesus. People loved to hang out with Jesus. They love to follow him. They love to experience the miracles. They watched what He did. But when it comes to this moment here, you start to see Jesus, how he's responding to his disciples, and you begin to see a little bit of the nature of their faith. Matthew chapter eight, verse 24, it says this: "So Jesus was sleeping." And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now watch. And Jesus says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? That's like, ouch, isn't it? That's like getting rebuked for asking for help. Can you imagine going to mom and dad and going, I really need your help. What's wrong with you? You should know better. And we can't reconcile what's taking place in the story, or at least we don't seem to be able to reconcile it. But here, let me tell you. These guys had been front and center all the way through the journey. They were eyewitnesses of the kingdom of God and the power of God. They saw miracles. They saw the lepers cleansed. They saw the dead raised back to life. They saw the blind restored to sight. They saw people being healed everywhere. They listened. They were there when Jesus was teaching on the kingdom. They witnessed the power of the kingdom. So here they are on a boat with a little bit of wind, a little bit of rain, and a little bit of waves. And Jesus goes, oh, you have so little faith. He wasn't shaming them. He was stretching their faith. He was trying to help them understand everything you saw over there applies to you no matter where you are. I am with you on the dry ground, and I'm with you in the uncertain waters of life. And so here he is stretching their faith and helping them understand that we don't need to be afraid when we go through the storms of life. So here's what the question does. The question exposes the real nature of our faith. Now watch this. They reacted to the storm rather than responded to it. So I'll unpack that. Reacting is all based on fear. It's predicated by fear reacting is reacting to what I'm about to lose. I'm going to lose my faith, I'm going to lose my family, I'm going to lose my finances, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to fill in the blank, whatever we're going to lose. So when we're in a storm, we react to the storm rather than respond. Respond is predicated on faith. Responding is when we know that Jesus is there with us in the moment, in the storm. So when the storm begins to become its most ferocious exposure to us, we go, you can come at me all you want but I know that God is with me in the storm right now. You can throw anything you want at me, but I'm not going to fear what I'm about to lose because I have faith in everything that I'm about to gain. That's why Paul could say, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Paul refused to react to his situation. He always responded by faith. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, you're still holding on to all the temporal things. And as long as you hold on tightly to the temporal, you'll always react your storms but he goes if you let go of the temporal and embrace the eternal you will respond in faith it will not matter how much money is in your bank account it will not matter how serious the relationship is melted it will not matter how desperate the doctor says your disease is because you go those things are circumstantial god is in control and that's where the storm becomes the point where we begin to lean in number four if you're writing this down storms Can be my most prevalent faith defining moments in life. So I'm going to read one verse and I want you to catch this. It's verse 23. It's how Matthew started the whole thing. It says, So Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Now forget the storms coming, right? Matthew just says, Jesus got into the boat and the disciples followed him. I love that picture. So Jesus has been out ministering, teaching, performing miracles. And like any other day, he goes, anybody up for a boat ride? And everybody's like, I'd love to go with you. We love hanging around with popular people, right? So you know the disciples are no different than us. Jesus, and it says Jesus got in the boat first. So he gets in the boat. Now those of you, how many of you have raised more than three children in your family? Let's go another way. How many of you are from a family with more than three children? Okay, there we go. Now we're connecting. So do you remember when it was time to go for a car ride? There were two privileged positions in the car. You know you weren't driving, so let's take that one out of play right away. There's two privileged positions in a car when you're about to go for a car ride. What are they? Front seat, and I heard it over here somewhere. The window seat, absolutely. There were six kids in our family. There was like, no way we would have a six-door car. So whenever we would go to the car, it was like fist and cuff. Who got the back doors? Because mom always got the front seat. And the, and the rare time that mom didn't come. Well, then it was like an all-out brawl to whoever got to sit in the front seat. So I can picture the disciples when Jesus goes, let's go for a boat ride. They're clamoring to get in there because they want to what? Sit next to Jesus. And what does John do? shotgun. I want to sit right next to Jesus. They're no different than us. We would do the same. And don't say you wouldn't. You would. If Jesus was physically with you in the boat and you go, there's a seat there, there's a seat there, and there's, I'm there. I'm right there. So they all climb in the boat going, Jesus wants to go for a boat ride. We've done this probably a hundred times before. Let's go. Jesus goes, I'm a little tired. I'm going to lay down and have a rest. You do that, Jesus. We got this. We got a couple of sailors in the boat, James and John, Peter and Andrew. You guys have done this. Get us across the other side of the lake. And in no time flat, Jesus is out sleeping and the storm just erupts. And you know what they're doing. Way to go, Peter. You brought us out here. You get us out of this mess. You know how you turn on each other real, real quick. But here we are in the middle of this and Jesus is the one that led him into the boat. See, some of you, you're in your storm and you go, God, what are you doing to me? God did I sin? Did did I not forgive somebody? Did somebody in my past do something that's cursed me? See, we go into this dark, terrible part of our minds where we think we're the reason or something we did is the reason for the storm in our life. Storms affect everybody. It's part of our brokenness, it's part of broken humanity. We have a world that is decaying, not rebuilding. That's why God's promised to make it all new again. And so instead of looking at what did I do wrong, what Jesus was trying to do is go look at me and look at what I can fix. Storms can become your most faith-defining moments. I don't know about you, but in my life, when I'm in the middle of my storm, I tend to grow more, exponentially more, than when I'm in a fair weather season. Because when everything's going along fine, it's sort of like, yeah, I'll go to church today. I'll read my Bible today. I'll spend a few moments talking to God today. When I'm in a storm, I'm going, I'm going to church today. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to get some people around me today, right? That's what storms do. Storms can be your most faith-defining moments if you'll let them be. And some of you, when you're in your storms, you go, I don't know if I trust God. You don't have to worry about the storm when your trust is in God, because God is there. And this faith-defining moment is exactly what Jesus did. Look at Matthew 8, 25, 26 and 27. It says, Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly it was calm. And here's the description. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves Will obey him. This moment had such an indelible imprint on Peter's life that later, when Peter would write his own letter, he would use these words that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He had been in them. He knew what storms were all about. So he could write with full confidence that when you're in the storm, God can rescue you no matter what your storm is. If you will allow it to be a faith defining moment, Laura and I, we've been in our share of storms. Everybody, we tend to look at each other and go, well, you probably don't understand. Well, come next Sunday. We're going to tell you about our storms. We've been there, and we still go through storms. But we know that God is always going to be with us in our storms. So rather than turning and running or hunkering down and trying to do it with endurance or just giving up hopelessly, we go, no, we're going to turn towards Jesus and go, Jesus, lead us in the storm. We're going to lean into the storm. So why should you do that? Because the Bible reminds us that the Lord is your helper and you don't have to be afraid. That was the writer to the Hebrews. He goes, God is with you. You don't have to fear your storm. So my question is this today. What's your storm? Because we have them. In fact, we would be amazed the number of storms that are just in this room alone, not to mention online. We have storms. But my encouragement to you today Lean in, because Jesus is right there in the middle of that storm. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you, and he is ready to rescue you. doesn't mean he's going to take you out of it. He's going to take control of it. That's the kind of God we serve. Amen? Father, I pray this morning that in such clear ways our spirits would understand that our faith in you is not something that is just philosophical and intangible it's real it's trustworthy and it transforms us when we go through trying times so this morning would you be with us as we're honest about confessing the storm that we're in personally because we need you jesus and i pray that you would just speak into our hearts and into our lives and i ask it in jesus name amen
0: Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.